Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I want to, before we get going, I want to give you a little bit of background of what Paul was facing when he wrote this epistle. I also want to show how this verse, these verses tie together with last week's sermon on John 6, 37. If you remember, last week I preached on John 6, 37. Uh, the verse goes like this, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. As we said last week, this passage reveals to us that God will save His elect. He will not fail. He will not let one of us go. Um, that should give us great assurance, great joy, um, that we can never, never um, be separated from God's love. Um, and as you will see, this was an important promise that was given to the Apostle Paul while he was undergoing persecution in the city of Corinth. And while he was in the city of Corinth, he was writing the epistle to the Romans. So that all had an impact on him as he's writing this epistle. Listen to what um, one commentator said about this city of Corinth. Even to the pagan world, this city was known for its moral corruption, so much so that the classical Greek to behave like a Corinthian came to represent gross immorality and drunken debauchery. The name of the city became synonymous with moral depravity. In this letter to the church, Paul lists some of the city's characteristic sins like fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, stealing, covetousness, drunkenness, reviling, and swindling. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds just like our country and what we're going through every day. Every time you go out the door today, you face the same stuff. And not only do you face the same stuff, but you also face persecution just like Paul did in Corinth. In fact, um, the apostle not only faced this corruption, but he also faced major persecution from the Jews. In fact, the persecution became so severe that Paul became fearful. Now think about that. I, to me, I read all of Paul, and I think, he never had a fearful day in his life. But he did. But he did, and I'll show you that. Um, this fear, listen to this, this fear paralyzed him, almost paralyzed him to the point where he was tempted, listen to this, to be silent. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul being silent out of fear? Well, let, let's look at the passage that shows that. Turn, keep your finger in Romans 1, turn to Acts, turn to the left, to Acts 18, just a few pages over. 
And it says this in verse 1, that Paul was in Corinth. It says, after these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. That's talking about Paul. And then you go down to verse 5, Acts 18, 5, and it says this, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word because they brought him money. So he didn't have to make tents any longer. So he he devoted himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, who was a Roman, and he worshiped a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all of his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Now listen to this. And the Lord said to Paul in a vision by night, do not be afraid any longer. What does that mean? He was being afraid. So he's saying, stop being afraid. Okay? He says, stop being afraid. Jesus says that to him. But go on speaking and don't be silent. So he's afraid and he's tempted to be silent, right? Listen to what Jesus says to him. For I am with you. He says that all throughout the Bible. I am with you. God says that. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. And then it says, I am with you. And listen to this. This is what he was fearful of. And no man will attack you in order to harm you. Paul had been through a lot. He had been stoned before. He had been thrown out of a city in stone and left for dead. He had been whipped in Philippi, 39 lashes. And, and so he, he, he was probably a little bit, uh, uh, bit trigger-happy, right? A little bit concerned. And then notice what it says. For I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. What's that talking about? It's talking about John 6, 37. I have many elect in this city. I have many that are there waiting to hear the gospel. Paul, you need not to fear. You need not to be ashamed. You need to proclaim the gospel because I have many that are ready to come to Christ. So what did Paul do? Look at what it says. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Listen to what it says in Romans. This is what he learned. Romans 16, uh, 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Have you ever been filled with fear? At your work, thinking about maybe speaking the gospel to somebody? Have you, have you ever been, in a sense, bullied into being silent? 
I think the culture's doing that to the church right now. We're being bullied into being silent. We're being bullied into being ashamed. And God says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. So we're going to look at four reasons why the Apostle Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. And the first one is, the gospel is powerful. It is powerful. Think about this. Um, Paul is saying that the gospel is the powerful force from God's word that changes men's life for all eternity. You know, the world believes in many things that can change people's lives. They believe in, in counseling and education, meditation, yoga, recreation, medication, motivational speaking, loving actions. All of those things can change a person, right? But none of those things can change the human heart. None of those things can change the human heart. The only thing that can change the human heart is the gospel. Paul says that in, in Romans ten seventeen. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You have to hear the gospel in order for your heart to be changed, in order for your heart to be regenerate, and then to respond to be, being regenerate with faith and repentance. Paul wrote this in the book of Romans, but you know what? He also experienced it. He also experienced it, and you all know the story of the apostle Paul when he was Saul. He was a murderer of Christians. He was a torturer of Christians. He was a terrorist of his day. And you remember what happened to him on the road to Damascus. It says in Acts 9, 1, it says, he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he was going to torture them more in Damascus. And on the way to that city, Jesus blew him out of the saddle. He changed his heart. And so the greatest persecutor of the church became the greatest preacher of the gospel. Preacher of the gospel. His heart was changed through the power of the gospel. Now some of you might be thinking, well, Mark, that was the first century. That was the first century. You know, we live in the 21st century. We live in the modern ages. God doesn't do stuff like that anymore. He doesn't? He doesn't, I, you know, I told you a story about two sermons ago about my friend Ron. I'm going to do it quick because you've all heard it already. Ron was a crack addict. You know, when you, when you think of a crack addict, you think hopeless. You think there's no way that person's going to change, right? He came to my office one day. He heard the gospel. He left, came back again, heard the gospel again, and left changed came back 17 years later at Dollywood, came up behind me, crazy guy, grabbed me from behind, lifted me up in the air. I didn't know who it was. I thought I was going to be robbed, right? And, and he says, and he puts me down on the ground, and I turn around, and he looks at me, he goes, my life was changed because of you, your ministry, and basically he's saying, because of the power of the gospel to change lives. And you might be thinking, you know what, that's that's just somebody you know, Mark. Hey, does anybody know Alice Cooper? 
Hello? Anybody know Alice Cooper? Did, did anybody hear the story about Alice Cooper? You know he, plays golf, he played golf with R.C. Sproul? Shoots a 74. Wow. Alice Cooper <laughs> grew up in a Christian home. His dad was a preacher. His grandfather was a preacher. His wife's dad was a preacher. They were surrounded. And what did they do? He said, I am the ultimate prodigal son. He ran from the gospel. She ran with him. And where did he go to? He started a band called Kiss, which, tell me if I'm wrong, when I heard about it when I was younger, it means knights in Satan's service. Is that true? Anybody? True? Okay. Um, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, the makeup, you've seen it all. I mean, satanic stuff, right? Satanic stuff. And what happened to his life? Listen to this. Um, he came to Christ, but you know how he came to Christ? He was addicted to cocaine. He was waking up every morning barfing blood. Every morning. And then he went to a church of about 6,000 people. And he said, when the preacher got up there, it was as if he was preaching right at me. I remember that. I had the same feeling. And he went home that first day after hearing the preacher preach, and he said, I'm not going back. I didn't like that. But he went back again, irresistible grace. And he went back again. And he kept barfing blood, right? But the gospel changed his heart. God got a hold of him. And he became a believer. Listen, listen to what he says. I, I always refer to myself as the real prodigal son because I went out from the Lord. Maybe, I didn't do, maybe he didn't let me do what I wanted to do, but he allowed it. And then he just started reeling me back in. Listen to this. When you get out there and you realize that you've had every car, every house, and all of that stuff is what's implied, you realize that that's not the answer. There's a big nothing out there. And at the end of all that, he implies is not good. So materialism doesn't mean anything. A lot of people say that there's a big God-sized hole in your heart, and when it's filled, you're really satisfied, and that's where I am right now. As for how this life has changed for the better, Cooper said, well, before, you are always self. You're always self-centered. Everything is for you. Yourself is God, and we make lousy gods. Humans make lousy gods, I think. We need to let God be God and us be what we are. 
I think that's what changes. The focus on who you are serving. You're not serving you. You're serving Christ. And then finally he says this. For those people who may have been big Alice Cooper fans back in the 1970s and 1980s, but who are still following the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle and not following Christ, Cooper said, well, they're going to eventually know Christ. And you know what he means by that, that they're eventually going to face Christ. And he says this, and I hope it's not too late. If you're at the wrong end at the wrong time, I think that's going to be tragic. Do you see the power of the gospel to change a life? You know, to take Saul and make him Paul, to make, to make um, Alice Cooper into a saint, to make Ron, who was a crack cocaine addict, into a godly husband and godly father. He has three kids now. They were ready to get a divorce. Their whole marriage was going to dissolve except for the power of the gospel to change lives. Well, the second reason why the apostle says that we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel is because it's the only path to God. It's the only path to God. Um, I love the movie Apollo 13. Um, in that movie, they're given 15 minutes to find their pathway home. And they're, they're told, you need to figure this out in 15 minutes or you know, you, you're, you're out of time. And you're supposed to figure it out with slide rules. I can't imagine. Slide rules. Um, so these guys are sitting there 15 minutes under all that duress and stress trying to figure out if they're going to make it home. They figure out the numbers. Then they check it with Houston. They figure it out too at the same time. They get the right numbers and, and they rejoice. Why? Because they know the only pathway home. It's probably out to the sixth decimal point. They have to be that accurate. If they come in at too steep an angle, they burn up. If they come in at another angle, they bounce off, and they go out into space forever. They die. They can only come in one way, and it's the only path home. Jesus said this in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me. You know, I once heard a Hindu man say that Christianity is the only intolerant religion there is, because we say that we know the only way. But guys, we're not saying that. Jesus says it. And make sure when you're talking to people that they know that. It's not you that's saying it. It's Jesus that's saying it. He's the one that says, I'm the only way. And, and think about this. If one of the crew members of the Apollo 13 convinced the other two guys to say, guys, wait a minute, I have another way. 
There's more than one way home. Don't listen to Houston. We don't need them. And they go, okay, we'll go with it. What would have happened to them? What would have happened? They'd have burned up. We have an entire culture that's telling that to each other. Oh, we know the way. We have many paths to God. We are the ones that need to be telling our culture in a loving way that there is only one path to God. And we have the glorious privilege to tell others about that path. Well, the third reason why we shouldn't be ashamed is it's a gospel for the nations. Look back at uh, verse 16. Verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Notice that? Everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, many times people look at this and say, Oh, God thinks the Jews are more important than the Greeks. That isn't what it's saying here. Paul is putting this in historical order. He's saying the Jews got the gospel first in the Old Testament, and then the Greeks were going to get it. problem with the Jews is many of them held on to the gospel because of their own self-righteousness, and they didn't attempt to give the gospel to others. Some did, but remember Jonah? It took a lot to get Jonah to tell the gospel to others, like a giant fish, right? Um, And also, the mystery of the gospel is this, that the New Testament shows that God wants the gospel to go to all the nations. And that's what Paul is talking about in this verse. This reveals that the Jews aren't more important than the Gentiles. Gentiles are not more important than the Jews, that the gospel is for all nations. And God is not a respecter of persons. Just think about that. That means the gospel is for your neighbor next door. Or it's for your neighbor across the world. And, and not only is the gospel for people you like, but it's also for people you don't like. It's also for people that are our enemies. Uh, you know, I think about how many places have been impacted by the, go- the gospel that were our enemies one, at one point. Just think of Japan, right? The gospel went to Japan after World War II, right? The gospel is there. The gospel is in Korea. You know, before uh, the war with Korea, the North Koreans, of course, um, the gospel, there, there was no gospel in Korea. There was less than 1% Christian. Now there's 30 to 40% Christians in that country. That's amazing. That's the power of the gospel going to the nations. Well, the fourth reason why the gospel is uh, that we should not be ashamed is the gospel is revealed to us. The gospel is revealed. One of the biggest reasons why the Jews looked down on the rest of the world, many of the Jews, not all of them, was because of their own self-righteousness. 
You know, they, they thought that God, they were God's people because of something they did. They thought because they were circumcised or because they had the Scriptures or because they were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it gave them a right standing before God. The result is this, of this is a nation that seldom reached out to the world. But look at verse 17. It says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. It's revealed. Ah, you know, that's, that's a glorious word. It's a glorious word. It's revealed. It's also a very humbling word. You know, we didn't get the gospel because we figured it out. We didn't understand the gospel because we were smarter than somebody else. We understood the gospel because God opened our eyes and revealed it to us. That reminds me of years ago. Some of you have heard this story before. You could probably tell it better than me. But some of you who are new don't know this story. I, I was in the Air Force and in basic training, before I went to the Air Force, I went to a recruiter one day, and out of all the jobs that the recruiter said that I could have, I said, the only job I don't like on this list is cook. And I asked the recruiter, what's my chances of becoming a cook? He said, one in a million, son, one in a million. So I went to basic training. And after basic training, I went to the list on the wall of my job, and guess what it said? I was a one-in-a-million cook. So I was staying, oh, guess what else they did? Because I was a one-in-a-million cook, I think they were nice to me. They gave me the first choice on my dream sheet, which they never do. I was stationed in Homestead, Florida, which is 100 miles from my home. So... I went to Homestead, Florida, and the first week I was there, I was so bummed out. I was so depressed. I was thinking, what am I doing here? Why did I do this? You know, why? So I had a guy come up to me and say, hey, you want to go get a, a meal with me? I said, okay. And we went back to his room, and he pulled out his 20-pound Schofield Bible which gets bigger every time I tell the story. And he started preaching at me. Oh, and he also put a gospel album on and it's going, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not what Paul's talking about, okay? Don't do that. So he started going at me, saying, you're a sinner. You're this, you're that. And I was just like, you know, hair going backwards. I finally just said, Enough's enough. I stood up. I said, look, I go to church. I'm an acolyte. I help make the communion wine. I sing in the choir. I'm a Christian. I'm not a sinner. And I walked out of the room. I was mad. And you know what? I didn't like that guy anymore. In fact, I kind of persecuted him after that. But do you see the word here? Reveal? I was blind as a bat. 
I thought I was righteous on my own. You hear my holy list? That's what I was resting in. And guess what happened a year and a half later? I went to a party, and I was at this party with all my high school friends. I was supposed to be having a great time. I usually did. You know, I, I usually was the... I, I don't need to go into all that. Um, but, but, but I usually had a great time, and I was standing there at this party, kind of bummed out, and you know what I was thinking about? The Ten Commandments! And you know why I was thinking about the Ten Commandments? Because I was thinking I'd broken every one of them. That was God. I didn't usually go to parties and think about the Ten Commandments, okay? God was revealing himself to me, and the first thing he did was reveal my sin and reveal my need for the gospel and reveal my need for a righteousness that was not my own. And he did that. And he forgave me not only of my past sins, my present, but my future. But he also took the righteousness of Christ and he put it to my account. And that's, that's what Paul is talking about here. It's the righteous shall live by faith. You know, and Martin Luther discovered the same thing. He, he looked at this verse in verse 17, and, and he couldn't figure it out. He studied it and studied it and studied it. He tried to think, is this the righteousness that God requires of man? Because he, he thought, that, that's terrible. If that's what God requires for me to be righteous, I'm never going to make it. And finally, he figured it out, that this isn't a righteousness that God requires, but it's a righteousness that's given to men by faith. You know what? And Martin Luther, when he figured that out, when it was revealed to him, he said it was as if he was born again. But you know what happened later on in Martin Luther's life? This isn't in my notes. Um, but the last part of the verse, it says, but the righteous shall live by faith, right? From faith to faith. Martin Luther started by faith, but he struggled. Many times he would want to go back to his own righteousness. He, he writes about the struggle he had. And that's what it's talking about here. We need to constantly walk by faith every day. What does that mean? It means, it means preaching the gospel to ourselves every day saying we are only righteous in Christ. And what does that do for us? It makes us want to proclaim it to others. Well, in closing, my daughter Jill, back about three years ago, when she was in high school, went over to a friend's house. And she parked her car out, for, I guess they had a bunch of cars there or something, um, she parked her car down the road from her friend's house, and then she went with her friend somewhere and then came back, right? And so after this, she's walking to her car, and she sees two ladies coming at her, okay? She sees them coming at her, and she sizes them up, and she figures out if she can outrun them. 
She didn't think that. But she, she figured out, how can I get out of this? Because she recognized who they were. They were Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? Finally, God pushed her to talk to them. And she talked to them for 30 minutes. And at the end of the conversation, she said, can I pray for you guys? And I asked her later on, I said, why'd you do that? And she said this. She told me that she, she asked to pray for them because she realized how lost they were and how blind they were to their own sin. And she also understood the grace that had been given to her, the grace that had been revealed to her by the gospel. Jill came home that day so filled with joy because she had an opportunity to give the gospel to others. And that is the glorious message that we have the privilege to give and to proclaim. Don't be timid. Don't let your fears overtake you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul did. Listen to the the vision that Jesus gave to Paul. And he said, there are many of mine out there. And that's true of us too. There are many out there still that need to hear the gospel. Listen to the words of Rock of Ages. It sums it up well. It says this, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your powerful gospel. For we know it's the only thing that can change men's hearts. Father, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to see how lost this world is. Help us to love our neighbor more than ourselves by giving them the gospel. Help us not to be ashamed or to fear what men think of us, but help us to boldly proclaim this message, knowing that it can change their life for all eternity. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.